Hello, and welcome to the MindMeld Live. I'm Cairo, uh, Community and Marketing at Shell Protocol, and we are very happy to have you tuning in, either live or recorded, wherever in the world you may be. We've got another technical big brain on our podcast today, so once again, I'm going to be handing it over to Kenny to do the introductions and the uh, lion's share of the interview, but I will be around, and... Uh, reading your questions. So please, if you have them, go to the MindMelt chat channel on our Shell Discord and uh, type your questions. And uh, if pretty much no matter what they are, we will address them uh, with few exceptions. So uh, uh, Kenny, I hand it over to you. Awesome. Thank you, Cairo. Uh, well, today we have a really special, interesting guest, especially if you're into economics and finance. Um, it's Guillaume Lambert. He is uh, slash soon to be was an assistant professor of applied engineering physics at Cornell University with an expertise in single cell microfluidics, antibiotic resistance, and synthetic biology. Uh, but more germanely to our discussion today, he is also the founder of Panoptic, a perpetual oracle free options protocol. Um, I've been following Panoptic and Guillaume, uh, your your work on options in DeFi for a while now. Um, this is uh, I'm really excited to get to learn about it like firsthand um, from you. But before we dive into discussing Panoptic and options and DeFi, like I think first it'd be really cool to learn a bit more about you and like what attracted you to DeFi. Like how do you go from being like a physics and biology? Uh, professor to designing an options protocol. Um, yeah, what was that journey like? Yeah, of course. Hey, Kenny. Yeah, thanks very much for inviting me. Yeah, I mean, we can go even back further. So again, I have a training in physics. Uh, I follow the academic route of doing it. Undergrad, PhD, postdoc, even, I mean, even before that, I grew up on a farm. So actually I'm coming from a very humble beginning. I just wanted to travel, wanted to study, wanted to do the coolest thing I could. Back then it was physics. During my PhD, it was biophysics, which was kind of a new way. Oh, you're looking to learn about physics. You think you know everything. Now you know, learn about life. You know, you know, you, you know, you, you, you know, nothing in that case. So just going through very, very like common postdoc faculty position. And, and again, I was generally interested in anything in science, anything in technology. And again, I, I knew about Bitcoin, but maybe it didn't catch my attention as much as, uh, when I first learned about Ethereum, again, Bitcoin is fine. Digital gold, there's not much to do with it. With Ethereum, it was clear to me you could do a lot more. Like you can program uh, smart contracts to do, again, what we now see it can be done. So I was kind of early on very interested in, in, in DeFi, very <laughs> among the first users of, of MakerDAO, Uniswap V1. I was deploying pools in Uni V1 as well, uh, V2, of course. Uh, and then uh, again, I got liquidated on my MakerDAO CDP early on during the 2018 bear market. Overall, I, I, I didn't quite know like what to do with it, but just playing around was kind of fun and to me. And uh, so when Uniswap V3 launched, I was excited because it seemed very, very new novel. You can concentrate your liquidity. And it's it's after the first few uh, tries, I realized that I got wrecked. I lost money without really understanding why. So I just decided to set down pen and paper in hand, try to derive, okay, what's Uniswap, what's the equations, what's the models, uh, what's the model be, behind it? And the more I dig, the more it helped me, I guess, in my opinion. And then also it allowed me to kind of discover what, again, truly what Uniswap is. It's a option like product. When you LP, you create an option and then that's kind of the starting point. 
But moving again, this is kind of what I'm going to be doing. As you mentioned, I'm an assistant professor in applied physics. I'm kind of leaving it all behind to be the full-time founder of Panoptic. At the end, I feel like this is kind of tapping in a new way. There's a sense of, yes, discovery, the, the new frontier. That again, I can you can find in science, of course, but now this is kind of maybe right place, right time where I could also kind of have an impact. So that's kind of be my uh, second phase perhaps of my career uh, after the academic one, just be a, a full-time founder. Well, I, for one, I'm really stoked and excited to have you full-time in DeFi. Um, you know, we need to attract brilliant minds to this space and it's great to see that the, the sales pitch is working. Um, and uh, I definitely uh, can relate to your experience with like bitcoin versus ethereum when i heard about bitcoin i was i thought it was cool but like it wasn't until i learned about ethereum that i really like oh wow this is like really like a big new technological paradigm shift and there's a lot of really cool things that you can build with this and we don't really know what they are yet and exactly um i guess one, one question we like to ask all our guests which is like how often do you personally use web3 and like what do you use it for obviously no don't don't share details you don't want getting being public out on the internet but just just out of curiosity yeah of course and then maybe i i, I almost talks myself the other day but no the, the key point is that i enjoy it again i i i have managed hundreds of positions <laughs> in univ3 over the past two years i'm kind of the, the top 50 holder of nft it's a, at the retail level nothing to break the bank but just my my, my kind of play money and again daily uh for a while i was uh, kind of figuring out how to do it. I latched on a set of strategies that worked pretty well for me. Uh, it involved uh, borrowing assets on uh, order finance and then locking it to my own ETH. I was happy, it was working well. I could do it with Shiba Inu, all of this long tail of assets. Of course, order finance uh, <laughs> got hacked. So I, it calmed down for a little bit. So now I have to go on Aave and Compound with a little bit more boring pairs. But yes, uh, very daily, again, trading uh, in Uniswap V3 is very options-like. But you don't have to be in front of your computer 24-7. It's not a perp trading. It's not like even swing trading. It's somewhat passive. You set up a position. You wait a few days. Maybe you need to adjust. Maybe not. But it's not as, uh, as, as you don't have to be kind of on top of it all the time. So in my case, every day I log in and look my positions for like 15, 20 minutes. Maybe I adjust. If it's the gas too high, I wait a few hours. But it's, yeah, daily, I guess. I, I still do it daily. Nice. Yeah, you're, believe it or not, one of the few people that, I think are like DeFi power users we've had on like a lot of people work full time in the space, but like they don't use it every day. I'm, I'm guilty. Yeah, I, I don't think use... that's, that's the most common story that we've heard. Certainly. I mean, um, I, I'm yeah. building Panoptic because I want to trade options. I'm the, I, this is kind of missing piece in the whole ecosystem. We have lending, yeah. we have spot, we have yield, I guess, but yeah, options, uh, get right. I'll be the first user. I'll be the last one. Probably it's like, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'll be a, D, a power user even with Panoptic in mind, of course. Yeah, yeah your uh, your connection is a little spotty. I don't know if you've got anything you could close or. Uh... Yeah, so sorry about that. I think um, let me cycle through. No worries. Yeah. Nope, not. It Chrome. was okay, and then all of a sudden. It yeah, happens. let's. Yeah, of course, and I think the the the. Is it better? I see that you are kind of a blurry carer. I don't know if if. Yeah, it's it's okay for me. Um, I guess some of the viewers are saying it's a little distorted, but there's only so much we can do, guys. If uh, if you're having trouble watching the stream, you can always watch it on replay. 
and the quality will be much higher uh, on the recorded version. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, um, sorry. Back to back to what you were saying. So, I think let's let's sort of transition to learning more about Panoptic. But before we get into like the the meat and potatoes of of the protocol itself, I think it might be helpful to get some background about options, both tradfi and defi, uh, just just so we have some context. And before we even get to the context, maybe if you could give us like a TLDR about like what is Panoptic and why is it a big deal? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I get I'll tie it with with uh, options in general. Options are extremely useful in tradfi. They serve a specific role that you cannot really kind of do without. It, it's a hedging mechanism, risk management. It's not a futures, it's not spot trading, it's not yield. It's just a new, like a different way of investing. And on its own, on its own, again, institutions have known about this for the past decades. That's why there's so much volume. It's a very necessary instrument. And again, in terms of if you want to do lending on chain, you can do it. If you want to do spot trading on chain, you have that. You can do staking, but options is not something that you can do at a scale that works within the, the, the confines say, of, of the blockchain. And what we're doing with with Panoptic is that we're creating an options protocol that we I like to call the Uniswap of options, meaning that you can trade options on any asset at any strike and there's no expiry, makes it very easy to manage in a way that's kind of very defined native. It's like if I were to explain to you Uniswap in 2015, you would say it's, wait, I don't get it. It's only when you trade for the first time that it's almost magical. Say, oh, I got some ETH for my USDC, fantastic. It's the same thing with Panoptic. We feel like we're going to be kind of bridging the gap between TradFi options, which are extremely uh, difficult and perhaps uh, like, I mean, obfuscated because they are complex and what you have kind of in DeFi where it should be a little bit more useful. So the, the, the TLDR is that we're offering options on any asset anyone can buy, anyone can sell in a way that's very, very decentralized. Sweet. You got me pumped. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, so uh, I guess what was what was the inspiration for the name Panoptic? Yeah, so the the, the Panoptic means is it's all encompassing. You see everything at once. It's like you 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 have a broad vision of the whole thing. And the key point is that in Panoptic, uh, if we want to contrast this with TradFi, is that everything happens in the same smart contract. All strikes, all expiries, all the liquidity can be kind of visualized in a single smart contract. That smart contract happens to be a Uniswap V3 pool. And that's kind of a weird uh, link, but we can execute options trade in the Uniswap pool, not just by swapping, but rather by providing liquidity. But it's very, very self-contained. You don't have liquidity fragmentation. You don't have different timelines. It's all in one spot. So, so I mean, for this as well, there's optic in there. Uh, I, I like the, the turn, uh, but overall, yeah, it's the seeing all at once uh is what kind of we want to we want to capture with the panoptic name yeah certainly transparency in financial markets <clears throat> is mm -hmm. you know thoroughly desirable especially in something as complex as like options um so uh i guess could you sort of briefly explain like how does a basic tradfi option work like you know what is a put what is a call and implicitly like what bet is a trader making when they like buy or sell like a vanilla option like that? Yeah. And, and I always approach this maybe a bit differently because the, 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 
I think the way that options are introduced is a bit misleading. You can buy options and this gives you the right to sell an asset or buy an asset. But the core like transaction is that you're just trading a specific payoff. And if you buy a stock, it's up to the right. The, the price goes up by $1, you make $1. It goes up by $1, it go, you lose a dollar. If it's shorting, you invert this. But at the end of the day, it's all kind of trading this asset, this payoff. And it's, it's a bit more visual, but when you trade a put option, buy or sell, or a call option, you should not think about, oh, it gives, gives me the right to do X, Y, Z in the future. You're just tra trading a specific exposure. And the exposure of a put is a little bit like a short position. Exposure of a call is a bit like a long position. But there's a, and you pay for it, you get paid if you sell, there's a few intricacies, but it's just a new way of looking at what you're trading. And, and, and in Panoptic, that's why I reframe it, because there's no expiry. A lot of the options lingo is that by the expiry, you can do X, Y, Z. In Panoptic, it has no expiry. So it, it's counterproductive to discuss of like the right to buy or sell because it never ends. It's just better to think of it in terms of like payoffs you buy. You buy a upside positive delta payoff. That's a, a call option. You, sell, you buy a, a downside protection negative delta payoff. That's a put option. Let me see if I can paraphrase what you're saying. I think this is like a really... I think this is like a really good way to look at it where buying or trading any kind of financial asset, you can think of it as you create like a relationship between a price of one asset and the value of, you know, some other asset, your portfolio or just some other asset you hold. When you just buy and hold like a regular, like, like Bitcoin or ETH, you know, the, that, 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 that graph um, looks like basically every dollar, every time like ETH goes up a dollar, you hold one ETH, the value of your like portfolio or your position goes up a dollar. Um, you can add things like leverage, which makes that like steeper. Mm -hmm. You can add things like, um, like shorting, which makes the slope like negative. So when ETH goes up a dollar, you lose a dollar. Um, but then you can have things like options, which give you more flexibility and, creativity and structuring very arbitrary shapes for for payoffs um and that's kind of where i guess panoptic comes in which yeah is, yeah well we'll get into exactly how you do it but like it lets you create these very complicated shapes very simply and um unlike traditional options there's no ex expiration date which is yeah. where i guess the perpetual side and of we lean up. into that this is a perfect uh, uh way of describing it we lean into this description quite heavily on our front end, you'll be managing these payoff curves. You'll be dragging uh, strikes around to make it look like the way you want. And it's all going to be in terms of what your exposure is. Do you want infinite upside or do you want infinite downside, meaning you can lose like infinite money? So all of it will be very visual. You'll see it right away in a way that even if you trade options in TradFi, it's still kind of hidden and implied. But now we kind of expose it and make it much easier to, 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 to understand it and trade in. Awesome. I, I can't wait to, I can't wait to use it. Um, okay. So, uh, you've compared like LP tokens to being very similar to options. Can you explain what, how that relationship works? Yeah. And this is again, the result of my own research, like going through the math, what's the value of an option? You can plot it on the graph. And if you look at it, it's a, hey, oh wait, it looks like a setting a put option. It's, and then if the more you dig, the more you see. But yeah, the key point is that by providing liquidity in Uniswap, 
in a concentrated manner, not necessarily V2 like or full range, but in a concentrated manner, it means that whether you're above the range or below the range, you kind of transform your LP position into either token A or token B. You can think of it of depositing ETH only ETH, and then if the price goes up, this gets transferred into cash or USDC. If it goes down, you, you get stuck with that ETH. So that transformation that is your LP token happens by trading activity in Uniswap. The traders push the price around, and if you're out of range, it can be 100% ETH, 100% USDC on the other side. So that's kind of this unique property of LP tokens. They change composition depending on the price. And when we say it looks like an option, we can go through an exercise, but this optionality comes in by borrowing or shorting an LP token. So if we go to a scenario of buying a call option, and now we'll go back to the definition of like exercising the right, but you have some ETH that's been deposited in Uniswap. It's uh, below the current price, so it's 100% ETH. You as a buyer, you short or you borrow that LP token. So you receive one ETH in your account. Now the price goes up. The, the, the ETH was sitting at 2,500. You remove one ETH, it's in, in your, your wallet. The price goes up, 2,500, 3,000 goes up and up. As it goes up, that LP token now is transformed into USDC. So you borrowed one ETH, but you have to pay back 2,500 USDC. And your debt is kind of this weird instrument that changes composition with price. But when you're ready to kind of move on or close your position, you keep the ETH for you and then you deposit 2,500. So the price could be much higher, but you deposit 2,500. So you, you effectively buy one ETH for 2,500 regardless of the price. So that is the key of why we can build the whole kind of gamut of options in Panoptic because LP tokens is this kind of magical instrument that changes composition with price. So you, 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 the traders don't necessarily think about swapping in terms of options, but then the LP token now is more like an option uh, instrument because of that. Gotcha. I think that makes sense. Um, so I think one of the differences that I've always thought about um, in terms of LP tokens versus like sort of traditional options is traditional options, you know, you, you sell for a premium, uh, whereas LP tokens, it's, it's not like a premium per se, but like, but, but like you get like trading fees off of like volume is how, 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 how can we reconcile those two differences? And like, what's the right way to, to think about this? Yeah. Cause some so, people think this is a big difference. Some people think that it's, it's less of a, of a, of, a, of an important yeah. difference. So again, if we go back to the initial point, someone deposits liquidity in Uniswap, this liquidity sits in there that you sold an option. Someone can buy it later on, but if it's sold, you do get a return, which is the fees collected by the trading activity, as we described. If you're in range, you collect fees. This increases over time. When you go out of range, you stop collecting, but what's being accumulated is yours. So you can collect, you can redeploy, you can compound if you want. But if we start from this basic idea of providing liquidity creates an option like payoff, what if we say the fees collected is gonna be your options premium that you are receiving? So you have premium on one side, you hold it for 21 days, for instance, and you have the fees collected. And then we can use the regular kind of tools from, from, from finance, like Black Scholes equation to fit, okay, this is my premium. This is the amount of time I've held it. What is the up, what is the IV or what is the, the volatility of that option? And if you do this, you can extract again, an IV that 
gives you the, the expected kind of uh, volatility of that asset. So it's implied volatility. It's not the real one. It's not the one you see on Deribit or centralized exchanges. It's just a new quantity that you can trade with. And if IV is lower than realized volatility, if implied is lower than realized, you should buy options, like roughly. If it's higher, you should sort of sell options. So you can still trade and do IV plays that people call, but now you just have the fees collected is your premium. It grows over time and you don't know how much it's going to generate over time. But if you look at the IV, say per day, you can have an, some, some idea in the future. And that's how you can get paid by selling options. If someone buys that option from you, you take the same formula if you want. Buying an option means you remove liquidity. So you have to reimburse the fees that would have been collected. So I sold an option, someone removed it from Uniswap, but they have to pay me back that fee. So the fees collected as well is what the buyer will pay. And this price starts at zero and increases over time. And the longer they hold and the longer it's in range, the more expensive that option is going to be. But it's when it's time to kind of execute or, or exercise that option that they have to pay the premium, but hopefully they are in the money and they can have a net positive EV as well because of that. Yeah, I guess that this kind of like make makes sense intuitively in the sense that like, you know, the, the closer like, you know, the spot price is to the strike price, um, you know, the higher, the more expensive that option is going to be to to buy. Um, and also like the closer, you know, the spot prices to like your liquidity range, you know, the more trading fees you're going to get. So there is sort of like this like correlation between trading fees and like the in, in an LP token and like the premium you pay in like a traditional like yeah. option. And the key point is that in traditional finance, it's a market maker, someone that sells it to you that decides the price ultimately. There's a bit of spread. If there's a lot of activity, it increases, but it's still kind of, there's an intermediary that makes this calculation for you. Whereas in Panoptic and Uniswap, it's real trading activity that happens. So it's, it's like credibly neutral. If there's a lot of trading activity, a lot of people paid fees and this is why you have a higher return. If it's a boring asset and no one trades, you get no return. So it's very, very organic and it's not going to be something that can be easily manipulated or taken over by again, market makers because it's real fees that are collected by traders. Love it. Okay. So I think now it's time to start. We can really like dive into like how Panoptic like works under the hood. Um, and so I was reading through the white paper and in, it sounds like there's three main agents in the Panoptic protocol. There's liquidity providers, option buyers, and option sellers. So what, what are the, what are the role that each of these agents play and like who's taking like what position in this market? Yeah. So the, the option seller, would be similar to the current LPs in Uniswap B3. They come in, they deploy liquidity, they may be a bit more sophisticated than the, the average user, they, they, they have a range, they kind of manage it a bit more uh, actively, but that's kind of what a seller is. They just trust their instinct to deploy liquidity in the right range, and if it stays there for long, they get higher payout, a paycheck. Uh, this is what you have in the status quo, you deploy liquidity in Uniswap, you're selling options, you're a seller. There's a liquidity provider, in Panoptic, we call them PLPs. And this is kind of bringing back passive liquidity providing to Uniswap. So these liquidity providers, they act a little bit like in a lending protocol. They deposit funds, one side, two side, regardless of which fraction they want. They deposit funds in the Panoptic pool. And these funds can now be borrowed by sellers. They can be borrowed by traders. And the key point is that this gives the ability of traders to access leverage. I, I described earlier, I would borrow my tokens on order finance, bridge them to Uniswap and 
deploy them. Here it's all happening within the Panoptic ecosystem. But because LPs deploy liquidity, they lend their funds and the, they get a return if you want uh, an interest rate from that lending activity. And the more activity there is, the more uh, the higher the, the APY if you want. So you can still get exposed to a Uniswap pool by being a lender that capitalizes on trading activity from again traders in a way that is kind of impossible to do currently with, with, with Uniswap. So again, sellers provide liquidity uh, into Uniswap. Liquidity provider deposits funds and lend them out like a lending protocol. And finally, you have buyers. These would be kind of the, your, your retail users or those that know about buying options. They would now participate, enter. Again, they still have to deposit some funds in the panoptic pool to act as collateral, but they would look at what's been sold, what's available to be purchased. And these would be options that other sellers have sold that still end up in Uniswap. And they would, again, if they want to buy, they remove that liquidity, reimburse the buyer, the, the seller for the amount of fees generated, and then get the exercise. So the buyer is um, removing liquidity from the Uniswap pool. The more liquidity you remove, the, the more price impact you have per trade. The more price impact, the more trading you have to kind of been checked. You increase the volatility by buying. And vice versa, if you sell, the more liquidity you put, the more it stabilizes the price, the less returns you get per unit of liquidity. That decreases the volatility. So that's kind of the, the, the back and forth that exists between buyers and sellers. They affect the Uniswap price impact, if you want. They affect the Uniswap volatility in a way that you cannot see currently. If you go currently in Uniswap and you try to provide liquidity in the ETH USDC pool, for instance, there's an oversupply of liquidity. And that means that any extra unit of liquidity will be receiving less returns than you would expect because there's too much liquidity. So as a rational trader, I should be buying these options to be removing liquidity to make the price less stable if you want, because the, the trading activity is, is, is what it is. So here we kind of open up this ability for traders, buyers and sellers to kind of trade on volatility to create a liquidity distribution that's kind of optimal in Uniswap. And you have these liquidity providers that kind of fund the whole ecosystem by providing liquidity and allowing users to tap into leverage. I think you're muted. Sorry, Kenny. Sorry, that's a classic move. I do that. I do that at least once every podcast. Um, uh, so let me see if I got this correct. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we have the liquidity providers who put up capital. Let's just say it's an ETH die market, so they put up either ETH or die or both. Um, then we have uh, the option sellers who look at the borrowing rates of uh, for the both both assets and based on the borrowing rates and their sort of understanding of the markets, they decide, you know, where to LP, what range they want to LP in. Um, and then you have the option buyers who go and see the LP tokens that are available and then they, I guess, borrow those LP tokens and then remove the liquidity from them. Yeah, that is correct. The, the key point is that the, the, the interest rate for borrowing is actually fixed and you pay it once when you open a position and it's like a commission. It's 10 basis point. It corresponds to maybe a few days worth of interest rate at like 10% APY. And, and the key point is that we, we, we use this as a way to fund the PLPs, but it, it makes again, somewhat of the calculation of interest rate easier because it's only paid once. And then it goes to the, the panoptic LPs right away. 
Okay, that so makes as, sense. As, as a guess, passive liquidity yeah. provider, you should get a steady stream of revenue the more trading activity there is. The, the commission is paid <laughs> on selling an option and buying an option. And if an option lives for a, one, one month, it's traded once. If it's traded multiple times per week, multiple times per day, you collect that kind of commission every time. Okay, yeah, that that, 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 that makes sense, right? Because... Um... Yeah, it's sort of like the more the more volume and volatility there is, the more people are gonna be like moving their LP positions, and the more money you'll make as a as a PLP. Yeah. Um, and like you know, the less the more stable it is, the less money and also the less risk you're taking. I, yeah, uh, if, if you have well. stable coin, stable point, stable coin pool that moves one bips <laughs> per few days, there's not gonna be a lot of back and forth needed. It's like okay, I'm still in range, so I don't care. But yes, the the more volatile the assets again could be Pepe. This was a crazy wild ride. I would be happy to buy options <laughs> on, on put options on Pepe, like from what's been sold. Now it's kind of possible to do with Panoptic. So uh, you mentioned in the white paper that the option, uh, I believe sellers are kind of an essential role, play an essential role for the protocol and, and the protocol may benefit from providing subsidies to the sellers. Um, can you can you go into some detail about why why that might be the case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, there's a the picking order as, as to which one is the most important. But yes, the liquidity provider plays a very similar role to the liquidity provider. The, the seller plays a similar role to the liquidity provider in Uniswap, meaning that you need liquidity. You need funds to be deposited, whether it's well distributed or not. You just need users to make the market liquid, and then traders can come in. If you have no liquidity. There's no trading activity and, and you have like a, a cold start problem. As long as there's enough liquidity to attract enough trading activity, then uh, that's right. You can increase the more amount of sellers, but this is kind of the most important crucial part. Just enough liquidity to get started so that there's enough trading that could be kind of supported by that pool. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have like a critical mass um, of LP tokens available to for people to borrow, then you know nothing nothing really works yeah. but once you have like enough then the whole like yeah we can get into where but i really can't wait to get into the details of like yeah. all the different stuff you use at the end of the day too many degen traders that want to buy options and again i'm sure that we'll see a lot of, of users maybe your listeners as well but buying options is removing liquidity increasing iv you may hit a critical point where as you mentioned there's no liquidity to to survive so we have to be careful who we incentivize that's why we put emphasis on the sellers buyers of course are important but then too many buyers would would be detrimental to the system long term uh, so, i have a question just going off of your uh, pepe example uh, i know uh, a big goal of uh, panoptic is to make uh, flexible options uh, available for DeFi users. It, you know, looking into a future where this succeeds and is is highly used and there's a lot of volume. Do you see the availability of these tools changing the market psychology of trading or the behavior? Because, you know, like for a lot of people who wanted to play the Pepe market, maybe the only thing that they were able to do easily was to buy and hold, right? You know, and say there's an easy way to have inverse exposure. Does that change the dynamic of these meme coin rallies? You know, what do you think? Yeah, of course. And I think that the 
the volatility we see in the markets and the meme coins is because there's no options market to kind of like provide a different venue for trading, accessing leverage, as you say. If you cannot short an asset, of course, the only thing you can do is buy and then the, 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 the buyers will make it go up and then they sell on top and there's no way to profit. So you need a back and forth market. I personally trade only options in TradFi and options build because of the flexibility, what it allows me to do short, long, even neutral. You can have a strategy for that in TradFi. You want to bring the same kind of mindset to, to DeFi users. Of course, there needs to be swappers that buy and hold, sell and sell high, buy low. But yes, the, 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 the directional plays, the leverage plays, you can be neutral. Neutral is a valid strategy. You can actually benefit from being range bound in a way that you can only do it with options and not necessarily with, 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 with buy and hold. And yes, I, I want as many users as possible to be options build. Think of options first whenever they want to express a bearish, bullish, or neutral kind of strategy. Yeah. Uh, Kenny, we got a question about your hair. Did you get a haircut? I did, but I think I had a haircut as early as the last previous yeah, podcast. Yeah, I think so. so uh... it's, it's, it's two podcasts old, but thank you for noticing. I'm flattered. Uh, anyway, back to the math and uh, and finance. <laughs> back to the important stuff. Um, uh, so I think it might be helpful uh, to think through this. So let's say I'm an LP, a PLP. I post up some ETH for the ETH die pool, and then the option seller borrows that ETH and then deposits that ETH um, into Uniswap V3, I think right above the... ETH spot price, and then the option buyer comes along and borrows that NFT position. That's a setup. Yeah. So then the price of ETH goes up, how you know, like five percent or whatever it is. Um, who who wins? Who loses? Like, how does that whole like? Yeah. How does how how does that scenario play out? So maybe a big criticism of options. It it seems to be a zero sum game, because you win, someone else loses. You pay someone, you get paid. I would say that in Panoptic, it's a little bit different because you have the swappers and the traders that generate this kind of external price that you can kind of latch onto. But yes, from your experience, someone provides liquidity, someone borrows this, put it above the price, someone buys it, the price goes up. So the buyer, by buying this call option, had a positive outlook on the, on the token. Bullish, they think it's going to go up, it goes up, they win, and they win the most. They presumably paid a small person, like if they, it was one ETH worth of calls, they may pay 0.01 or 0.02 ETH and they get 5% exposure, very leveraged, like you have you pay, you, can, you pay a little bit, you get upside exposure. You, they were right in terms of selling an option, uh, buying an option that was, uh, that was <laughs> showing a bullish outcome and it was bullish, so they, they, they are uh, making money. The seller, by selling that call option, actually had a bearish outcome. They, they expected the price to go down because as the price goes down, the, the, the payoff is negative. It's a negative delta strategy. And they maybe paid a little bit. Maybe that extra fee offset their losses a little bit. But again, they were wrong. So in that case, they would lose. Typically, this is what you see in, 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 in currently Uniswap. You, you provide liquidity, it goes out of range, you're stuck with the asset, you lose. The key point is that they could do other strategies to kind of offset that risk. They could sell a call and sell a put at the other side to create a straddle or a strangle where it's more neutral and it en enlarges their break-even point. And even though the price went up by 5%, they could still be in the green if you want. 
or they could buy an, a call option at higher strikes so that they also limit the maximum amount that they can lose. Maybe it's 10% away or maybe it's 1% away, but they, they could also control the risk by buying options themselves to offset like the max loss. So this is very common in options. You never see it one by one. Many options are multi-legged, put, call, up to four legs at the same time. This is what we can do as well in Panoptic. But the tools you need to be successful in Uniswap V3 is buying options, puts and calls. You can only sell options. That's why people are kind of worried. And it's true. It's difficult to be successful if you can only have one tool to your arsenal. You need four of them, buy and sell, puts and calls. So yes, in that specific scenario, the call seller was wrong. The price went up, they lose. And the PLP, the person that funded this whole enterprise, they get a 10 basis point when it was sold, 10 basis point when it was purchased. So they have 20 basis point. This maybe maybe could be 10, 20 basis point on one ETH, which is 0.02 in one day, one week, regardless of how long it took. But you do get a, a steady yield because of that. So the PLP are strictly increasing in amount. And it's like almost risk-free rate. Uh, it may be better than the staking yield, for instance, but it can only go up unless there's a humongous crash like eat Luna or the whole thing goes down where, where there's going to be some, some losses that could be realized in terms of LPing. But yes, if you're one of the larger pools without, without kind of painting a rosier picture, it's, it's more likely you go up and up than, than uh, see these kind of black swan events. Kenny. Once again, I did it again. Uh, yeah, there's always these asterisks. There's always an asterisk when you're like, you, you know, an LP in these like kind of pools with leverage, where it's like, yeah, look, you're 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 only gonna make money unless. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. But, uh, that's just, I mean, that's just, you know, you, you can never get a hundred percent like certainty with anything. And, so that's I mean, just if you want to have your game. ETH work for you, if you go in the ETH Dai pool, or the ETH USDC, or the ETH Luna, or the ETH Pepe. It's still the same ETH, but it's exposed to a different risk level. And you would expect maybe the Pepe to generate more yield, but the risk of losing big by collapse is higher than ETH USDC, for instance. So ETH staked ETH would be the lowest one. So it's it's all about trade-offs. We we don't we cannot guarantee everybody's gonna make money, but it's 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 gonna be a, a more diverse, perhaps. So that's why I like about options. If you have a directionality, if you have a risk tolerance, if you just wanna be Bullish, bearish, there's a strategy for you. It allows you to express this strategy. It's it's very strategic in the sense that there's 10 different ways to do something. And the best way is what you think is best. Someone else may think it's something else, but at least you have the opportunity to or the choice to do it. I uh, I have a question for both of you, but Kenny, it looked like you were going to jump in. Oh, I, can, I just want to clarify. It. If you're an option seller and someone buy, buys the option from you, they 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 pay like like an interest rate like every every block. Yeah, the, if it's in range, well, you, the the position will collect fees, and you can spoke or query the Uniswap contract and said, okay, they removed half of my position. The half that was removed, how much would I've received? And this you can use this to uh, settle, I guess, how much oh, they okay, have to pay. Okay. So it's also based on Uniswap trading. If it's a volatile asset that has lots of trading, it's going to be expensive to buy at the money options. In a way that if there's no trading, it's going to be cheap. So that that's kind of the idea. Okay, that makes sense. Sorry, Cairo, go for oh, it. Oh no, my uh, my question because uh, both of you guys are building protocols where uh, people are incentivized to provide liquidity. 
in exchange for a, for a return. And uh, recently, there's been a lot of talk about liquid staked ETH and specifically the increasingly rising percent of total ETH that is uh, liquid staked. Do you potentially see a future where liquid staked ETH replaces or serves the purpose of ETH in these major trading pairs or where it's hard to attract liquidity providers because there's the opportunity cost of not holding staked ETH? And how do you anticipate that going? So in the world of options, typically for the past few years, the risk-free interest rate was zero, so we never had to worry about the interest rate. But there's a cost There's a cost to carry now, which is non-negligible in stratify options. Again, you deploy cash. Could you deploy it in a bond or whatever you want to call it and get a year high yield? And that comes into the pricing of that option. And yes, I think the the maybe Uniswap V4 would make it a bit easier or there's a way to kind of convert like stale liquidity into staked ETH. And you can still tap into that potential of like, providing liquidity and getting the risk-free rate of, of ETH staking. Trading is a bit more clunky to just go and get your ETH to stake ETH and then you trade for your Pepe and then when you sell. So I think the trader will not do it, but the protocol can now tap into like ways to make the, the, the idle liquidity or the liquidity in its, in its kind of uh, smart contract work for it. Makes sense. Yeah, I think... I guess to me, the open question is, will people want to like trade using staked ETH for like stable coins or other assets in Ethereum? Like, will people want to be say buying NFTs with staked ETH or will they prefer vanilla ETH? I don't really know the answer to that, but I I think as long as there's demand for trading pairs in like vanilla ETH versus staked ETH, then, you know, it'll, it'll work itself out one way or another, you know, the market finds a way, but I, I it, it'll be interesting to kind of watch because my hunch is this, that like, there's going to be like always like a slight, like state ETH isn't risk-free, you know, yeah. like there's, there's just, it, we can't really beat like the native asset of ETH. Cause like, you know, if, if, like if if anything bad happens to native like like the ethereum blockchain everything's screwed anyway and so like it's hard you can't really hedge that risk but like there's like you know like this like 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 if something happens to like like those staking platforms like that could be really bad for the whole platform as well but it's not as existential as like i don't know like the low level blockchain so my hunch is that there's always going to be some demand some market for native eth it's open it's an open question to me like how big that market becomes relative to staked ETH. Interesting. Yeah, I think that one of the risks and benefits of crypto is that uh, there's not much that's too big to fail in that nobody's coming to bail out <laughs> You're on your huge own. insolvent e- protocols. Yep. We just kind of eat the loss, you know, which you can make an argument is healthier, but it also creates a risk that you know uh, retail may may or may not be pricing in. It's hard to see the future. Well, it does seem that these you know decentralized financial platforms like are a lot more resilient to like catastrophic failure. Where like I think one of the big problems with like the two thousand eight global financial crisis was that like no one could really figure out like who owed who what, 
And so that just like sort of like compounded all the problems. Whereas in like DeFi, it's like, you know, Etherscan isn't perfect. It's not like the easiest thing in the world to like use. However, it's, it's, you know, light years easier than trying to figure out like, you know, who owed who, what mezzanine debt on some like complicated, like, you know, swaption, like mortgage backed security thing. Like, so it does seem to me that maybe we don't even, it's, you know, I don't, hopefully we never put this to the test, but eventually we will that like DeFi in general doesn't need bailouts to like restart the system and, and come back online. Yeah. Yet. Another thing, no, but I'm kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> and can it yeah. do that? Thank yeah, you know ahead of time. Uh, yeah, we even know like, okay, this position yeah. will be liquidatable when the price is hit. So it's very, very in the open. And again, maybe yeah. you could have anticipated the 2008 crash by having all the information available that we have with, with uh, Etherscan and, and Ethereum. Uh, one, I guess you could say defense or, or, or merit-based argument for short sellers uh, that I've heard, not that short selling necessarily needs to be defended, but I know um, at least in traditional markets, there's an inversion sometimes, is that it creates a uh, incentive for people to dig up not just the good news, but also uh, potentially the, the dirty laundry and the problems and corruption with uh, assets, companies, protocols, what have you and creates a sort of healthier information market because it's not just about pumping narratives. So I wonder, you know, in, in this goal of making options more prevalent and possible, will we suddenly see more money incentivizing, uh, I guess, A, digging up dirty laundry and, and keeping people informed or B, potentially misinformation narratives uh, you know, attempting to drive down yeah. token prices. It, it, uh, I mean, I think it, what, I guess I don't yeah. really have a question, but no, I can yeah. feel like again, as I said, with options, you can do what you want, whatever you want. Up, I mean, bearish, yeah. bullish, neutral. We we provide the tools, but of course, we have to be careful about manipulation. But I would say that yeah, the 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 binary choice of buy and hold or don't do anything is kind of limiting, and I would say that the the the, the, the role of short selling, or you can call it kind of being a little bit more like directional is useful for price stabilization. And also, as you say, to kind of uh, incentivize users to just not see the upside, but also if there's a way to profit on the downside, regardless of what happens, if it's a crappy crap token, there should be a way to short it. And you could do this to some extent with borrowing and even perks. But the key point is that I would not say that the, the it keeps the protocols maybe on the edge, as you say, it's not just good news but yeah bad news can hurt you so so of course you have to be putting yourself the best way forward yeah so i know we're running a little short on time there's one question i just really wanted to get you a chance to, to talk about because to me this is the one of the coolest things about uh panoptic and pen options is the ability to like really tailor make and custom a lot of different like option designs like i think you listed like maybe eight different like crazy options in the white paper. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Can you, can you talk a little bit about like how this works and maybe, you know, even, even, even sort of like kind of give us like a teaser of like the user experience we, we have to look forward to. Yeah. And again, I, the, the, in the white paper, we, we, I used real strategies that exist in TradFi. I trade also myself often like a Jade Lizard 
or an iron condor or a zebra. These are weird names, I guess, but it's all strategies that are made by composing multiple options together. And uh, it, 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 it serves a purpose. You have more upside risk, more uh, downside protection. You can actually uh, construct any payoff you want. And if you do it often enough, then you give it a name. Straddles, strangles is a lot of what market makers trade. And then uh, from the buy side, there's, you don't see as many of these kind of multi-legged strategies, but it's still something that we want to push forward. But yes, the, as I mentioned earlier, it's very visual. It's very like intuitive when you see the payoff. And, and if I show you an iron condor payoff, kind of looks like an iron condor, but you can see it right away. It has some features. You know, it's a definer strategy, delta neutral. And the way that the zebra is still defined risk, but bear, uh, bullish. So all of those strategies help users make a better choice in terms of where to invest and how to kind of trade options. And yeah, the, the, the interface will make it so that you can preload some of these strategies and can trade a Jade Lizard by clicking a button or a strangle or straddle. But the key point is that if you can see it, you can adjust it to exactly what you want to do and it's going to issue it to you. So there's no limit as to what you can create as a trader. Because if the interface shows you something, then it's 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 makeable if you want. So we can make it, and and we have a um, maybe yeah for the podcast users we have a uh, it's so funny the name sometimes we have one researcher that published like eighteen different strategies again from from calendar to straddles strangles like again bear uh, super bear super bowl we may have like a uh, NFT Easter egg as well for some users as well by interacting with the protocol you can have a jade lizard issued to you in some NFT form, I guess, keep an eye open, but it's going to be, uh, again, when we launch, it was gonna, we're going to launch this fall. Uh, we'll do a gated launch with trading competitions over the summer, but then, yeah, we, we, we'll, we'll keep it under wraps. But yeah, there's going to be a, a NFT surprise maybe for the the first cool. users Yeah, when we Ooh. launch. Alpha, alpha drop. Nice. That's what, we're, that's what we're yeah. here for. Um, so I, I've never used like a traditional options, like TradFi options trading thing. Do they give it's you fun. the ability to like click buttons, like yeah. make me a Jade Lizard, no, the, make me one of these, so make me one of those? Or? Most most options pro, most most options platform are horrible. They don't allow you to do this. Even the actual interface. If you are unlucky enough to hit the options tab on your trading interface, Schwab or whatnot, it's horrible. It's an Excel Excel spreadsheet word of numbers. You don't know where to look at. You have to kind of these weird columns. It's they don't make it easy. At least personally, there's uh, one one uh, platform called Tasty Trade that is made by traders, but they you can preload your Jade Lizards, Strangles, uh, what uh, Aaron Condors, and they are also leaning into this kind of retail focused payoff that you want type of thing as opposed to buy puts or buy calls. Like this is very this is also somewhat binary, but setting options, multi-legged strategies allow you to be a lot more flexible. But yes, the the we are lucky that we have a new way of doing options that has no expiry and no strikes because we can move away from that horrendous UX that you have on your Schwab or, 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 or Fidelity interface. We can innovate and create something that's again as easy, hopefully, to use as Uniswap to some extent. Oh, man, I can't wait. Okay, uh, let's see here. Um, so I guess last week, well, yeah, so last week we had Jason Milionis uh, on the podcast, uh -huh. and we, we did a deep dive dive in loss versus rebalancing, and I and I promised him I would ask you about it. So how how does loss versus rebalancing? And for those those listening who aren't who didn't didn't get catch the last podcast, it, loss versus rebalancing is is basically like a, a a word for you know when arbitrators like 
buy low on a centralized exchange and then sell high on on like on Uniswap or Curve or something like that. Uh, and basically, they're they're collecting our profits. It's kind of you know the idea is that these profits are coming at the expense of liquidity providers in these platforms. Although this is a fairly like contentious issue, and it's sort of like really not like it's kind of like an unsolved like science of AMMs and and market making and DeFi versus CFI. So. I wanted to get your take on on loss versus rebalancing or lever and like how you feel like it it interacts with uh, or doesn't uh, panoptic. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty vocal about it, and even today I was actually in a Twitter uh, shouting match maybe with with other users. So yes, so again, long story short, you compare LPing, which is kind of passive. You provide liquidity, you wait a day, a week, a month, even, and you come back. This is like selling an option. Typically, you sell it. Many days from expiry. Typically, I sell something like 40 or 50 days from expiring and I close it like a week or two before it expires. But it's a very slow process. It takes many days. You make $100, but it took you 40 days. But this is somewhat passive. If you compare this to a extremely active strategy, which is, as you say, you rebalance your positions, you have a centralized exchange, no fees, no slippage, you can rebalance every time. And even though you start at a point, the price moves all over the place and you come back to the same point in Uniswap V3, when you LP, you have no loss because you get back to the same point. But had you uh, balanced, sold and, and bought the underlying assets on a centralized exchange, you would have been better. So my view, this is comparing a passive long-term strategy to the high frequency trading strategies that, again, you can do on centralized exchanges. But you cannot quite do on uh, on 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 Uniswap or even on 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 uh, on chain. So I, I I think it's a it's a comparison to something that's unattainable, and I would say that that's why I I don't like it because it means that the retail users, the users that don't have the ability to manage their books, I guess twenty four seven, they see this. Oh, I could have made ten percent more if I was the super efficient trading <laughs> machine. Whereas you will be in the profit zone, you will have a positive return. It's a passive activity. You may do less because you don't work as much, but it's not going to be a loss per se. Same thing with impermanent loss or loss of even the, the fact that it's lost in it makes it so that the, you, you start with this assumption that you either lost, which is false, or you could have made more, but this is also un, unattainable. So I, I'm, a lot of folks are attempting to solve LVR and say, once we solve this, LPs will come back because they won't lose as much. My solution is maybe perpendicular to this or orthogonal. I say, let's embrace the slow passive nature of options and LPing. And instead of trying to rebalance it every moment, you just have a market-driven rebalance. You sell an option, someone can buy it. They both wait two weeks, but at least you have an exchange that's gonna be driving the returns from market-driven forces and not some this some some of these hyper-optimized trading strategies that can only be done if you have fancy computer, twenty-four-seven access to internet, and 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 constant kind of rebalancing. Yeah, and I, I think that's a pretty good way to look at it. You know, it's it's apples versus oranges, and I, I think the strongest piece of evidence for 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 your view is is that like there's still billions of dollars of like liquidity. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, Uniswap, Curve, SushiSwap, Balancer, I mean, even, even Shell. And, and so... I think, um, it, you know, it'd be great to have Gim and uh, Jason on together at some point. I and, mean, I, uh, I think it's, it, yeah, it's a too orthogonal way. 
And I think most of people, even with LVR or, or in Pedantic, we're trying to solve like this open problem. That's why I'm so excited about it as well myself personally. But it, it's it, it's two different yeah. approaches. I think the the our way is better. Who knows? But yeah, I think the 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 unlocking of options. As you said, there's billions of dollars worth of liquidity in Uniswap. It's only sold. It's people selling put options. And even if this is inefficient and very limited strategy-wise, there's still billions of dollars getting made every year. Now we allow someone to buy options, sell calls, sell puts. It's going to be kind of magnifying this uh, like liquidity so that more liquidity there is, the more the more uh, strategies you can you can create. So two different ways. Uh, I'm, I'm more the retail-based user, so maybe I'm focused on what I would like to do. But yes, if, if I were a market maker professionally, I would say, yeah, this is easy to do. I'll do LVR and solve it. Well, you know, a lot of people critical of, of LPing aren't LPs themselves, which I guess makes sense. Um, yeah, but I, I also don't think, I don't think like, like trying to have like a better way of, let's say profiting from the liquidity, the passive liquidity, the liquidity that's, that's available in, in getting more out of the, more of the, you think of levers, like here's what arbitrage traders get um, you know, trying to like reduce that amount. I don't think reducing that amount is necessarily ex mutually exclusive to using LPs as option tokens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think like both of those, both of those kind of go like could go hand in hand. They don't have to be like a. I don't. Know, I feel like especially social media and crypto Twitter loves to. It's all about conflict. Conflicts like how you, you know conflict sells. That's what gets people's attention. But it doesn't necessarily have to be like a conflict. Like if they. In my opinion, that they, they they would go really well together, uh, potentially. Yeah. And I, I yeah, I think the the Uniswap V1 and V2 was doing its job, but yeah, we can innovate as well and make it uh, better, more efficient. But that, yeah, the, the, I would say that yeah, the, the end state is definitely not V3, maybe not even V4. Uniswap V4, it's going to be something that again attempts to solve all these issues at once. And yeah, I agree with you more generally. Okay, so we talked. Uh, we're a little past the hour, but there's a few. I have a few more questions. If if you're if you're game, um, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, so we talked a little bit about like the end user experience, but like, what's let's say I'm a developer. Um, uh, what can I use like Panoptic for? Like, what what is there anything cool that I should pay attention to? Yeah, I, I think the 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 thing that we don't have the throughput, I guess, ourselves is if you want to see what say Ribbon did or a lot of the vaults based product do is that you could pool funds together to create, participate into a specific strategy. In case of Ribbon, it was covered calls, sending puts, but then you could have a Delta neutral strategy. Your Jade Lizard strategy could be a vault. You could actually enhance the capital efficiency by pooling users' funds together to create something, again, that, that retail flow can, can, can participate into. So again, that could be one, one application of what you can do with Panoptic. Again, you can vault, voltize all of these strategies in a way that's very capital efficient. And so, uh, I would say that we're using the 4626 standard to track collateral, our options are 1155. So everything is composable. At this point, we're focused on building our own, own, own product, of course, but yeah, we, we try to be as open as possible. Maybe our, v, maybe our V2 will be even more open like the Uniswap V4 we've seen with like the hooks and stuff and stuff. But yeah, I would say that the the, the low-hanging fruit is the vaults, maybe the the, 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 the the collaborative kind of strategies and and, and, and moving from there, uh, who knows? Cool. Okay. So I got some miscellaneous questions for you. And one question we basically have to ask every guest is when token? 
You don't have to answer this question if you don't want to. No, I mean, the the response I give, I guess, uh, is there one protocol that you think has the best tokenomics around? There's always trade-offs. I'm not a fan of governance tokens, and, and, and I feel like a lot of the tokens are very securities-like, very, very dangerous. So I look around, I don't see one that I want to emulate. That means we need to research this and make it, again, our own. And and uh, the one that I like a lot and the most is ETH, Ether. You have a burn mechanism, you have an issuance, market-driven, the, 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 the supply is unbounded, but it's constrained. You cannot go to infinity necessarily, you cannot go to zero. So this makes it very, very attractive as a model. You burn to use the protocol, so you cannot escape that fact. So I think most tokens should have some of that component as well, where you, you, you are not just staking or locking, but getting rid of it to gain some economic advantage. And if, if it's a huge advantage, you'll burn more. If it's less, you'll burn less. But yes, that, that's kind of already. So long story short, we don't have a token for Panopic V1, maybe V2, maybe later on, but we don't want to be kind of overcommitted to a specific model that we don't want to kind of carry through yeah. for the next 10 years. I feel that. I think yes. you're yeah, <laughs> spot on. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, so last couple questions. Um, what do you think is going to be the long-term competitive advantage of DeFi versus CeFi? Uh, I think DeFi will lead the world. I think we, we just, we're just at the beginning. We have tokens. We have maybe USDC is the largest uh, real-world asset. You could do it with all currencies. We can see FX trading being happening on chain. We could see commodities, whether your barrel of oil sits in a warehouse, it's if it's a piece of paper or a digital kind of ledger, it much easier if it's a ledger. So I would say that all of the trading activity, all of the uh, like assurances of like supply chain, NFT, everything will migrate to the blockchain the same way that again everything is on the internet now. And it's it's I mean maybe it's hopefully I'm not too delusional, but I think that is kind of the end state. And this is why we're doing this now. We see the end goal and not the scammers and everything else, <laughs> distractions between, this is the end state. And the, the it's like saying, how do you think mail will compete with internet? If you ask someone in the eighties, they have no idea what the internet would do, but if you have some forethought, you know where it's going to go. So I think the same thing will happen with not just, I mean, maybe it's not Ethereum, maybe it's not the same like protocols, but eventually, the cryptographic assurances, the like open permissionless nature of blockchain makes it so that it's inevitable. There's no other way to do it. Yeah, because it does seem like the DeFi blockchain, it's like much more transparent and easy to figure out what's happening, which I think is just like super useful. It's also like open and permissionless, so it's much easier to like experiment and try new things. And crucially, it's like it's like socially scalable, right? Where you don't have to worry, like, like say you want to spin up your like like an options market that's centralized. It's like, well, unless you have a fairly high degree of trust of Guillaume, are you really going to trust yeah. him? Or you really want to give him all your like ETH and and die and like just hope they like he doesn't kind of pull an SBF and kind of, you know, pay have a nice little mansion in the Bahamas. Yeah. Like, whereas like in in DeFi, you can be like, well. I can go read through my code. Maybe not everyone's savvy enough to read through the code, but all you need is like, you know, a few dozen people that are savvy enough to read through the code, verify that it's, that's good. And then you're off to the races. And I think, you know, between the, the, the social scalability, the permissionlessness and like the transparency, 
of what's happening. It just seems sort of like a recipe for, uh, yeah, a recipe for long-term success and, to and, me. I mean, and like, there's no way CFI comes. Yeah, we're talking to with lawyers now. Again, we want to be careful, of course. I mean, there is the exchange, CFTC, SEC. Yeah. We have to be careful. And they, they, the, our lawyers, of course, they, they know about Web3, but it's like when you dig and scratch a little bit what TradFi does, it's a mess. It's a Rube Goldberg machine of intermediaries and you have one provider and 25 different intermediaries that kind of talk to one another. Yeah. It's because trust was difficult because people were would steal your funds left and right again over the past 100 years. So they had to do it that way. And if we try to say, no, crypto cannot do this so we can forget about all of this, that, that takes some change. It's actually a huge paradigm shift. And we can say we're going to register it as entity XYZ but it's going to be one of those intermediaries in this kind of huge mess, like spiderweb of, of, of components. DeFi makes it ver a, a, a lot, lot, lot more like get safe, but then a lot more streamlined. Again, we, the the we I won't want to, we will follow the rules of course, but then there's like there's no place for a DeFi protocol unless you're you're like uh, anyways the 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 long term view is I think the the the. Um, the simpler, more secure the protocol is, the easier it is to kind of, again, use it and then kind of expand from there. Completely agree. Okay. Um, I guess the last question I got for you um, is how would you compare the culture in academia versus the culture in DeFi? And what can DeFi learn from academia? And what can academia maybe learn from DeFi? Uh, I, I mean, I think in academia, it's a different world. The feedback loop is very, very slow. You go to couple of conferences every year, you see the same people, they worked on the same thing that they were working on six months ago. And then there's a few updates. I would say it's still collaborative. You still are eager to kind of talk to your peers, but yeah, it's a very slow, like deliberate way. And sometimes it doesn't work for reasons you don't understand. Sometimes it works well, but it's a little bit less like in your control. The same way that again, DeFi, yeah, I, I like the I like the pace. I like the innovation. I like that you can code it and make it work the way you want. You don't have to worry about your bacteria or your organism doing X, Y, Z. It's like very, very deliberate. Uh, I would say that, yeah, I, what can DeFi learn from academia? This, I, don't, I think there's, yeah, it's a bit difficult. I think in academia, it's very, very open, collaborative. The, 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 the It's like we're working towards a larger goal and everybody gets that to some extent. In DeFi, it's always like maybe short term, like can I outcompete everyone else? It's like business more or less. But I feel like in academia, you, you have like this, 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 this like easiness of like interaction and collaboration that is kind of natural because this is what you do. And you we know, again, someone solves cancer, even if you don't find the, the cure first, you're extremely happy regardless of the result. So that's kind of the 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 the, the, the mindset that everyone's in, whether it's a very, very small and niche. Uh, project or scientific kind of topic or a big one, it's all very collaborative. So that that should be a little bit more uh, involved. Again, Vitalik, the 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 everyone that is in the Ethereum kind of ecosystem signaled a lot of it, and that's why again the community it is what it is what it is. So again, I would not say that this is not what's done, but maybe at the app player is maybe where we we have to kind of <laughs> get along a bit better, I'd say, and not trash oh, LVR as much. No, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I I know I'll, I'll admit I, I can be guilty of guilty of a little of this competitive uh, I mean, ego get in the way. Of, yeah, yeah, there's some ego that's celebrating. Yeah, and can it's also healthy more, overall. But yeah, you you're 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 not competing for like funds. If, if you get scooped, 
yes, you feel bad for an afternoon. Someone else published the result before you, but it's not the end of the world here. It's like life or death. So yeah, I can imagine that no one can, not everyone can kind of just simply <laughs> hold hands and, 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 and get along. But yeah, so that would be my, my, my view. But yeah, overall. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great perspective. Um, Cairo, any other, any questions you, you want to ask uh, before you wrap things up? Uh, no, we had one more audience question, which I'll pass along out of gratitude to our audience for tuning in which is, uh, again, in the short term, are you bullish or bearish on crypto prices? Prices? Yeah. Um, you don't have to answer. Yeah. And I think the, the uh, as an options trader, if I want to be kind of directional, I can do it. I'm mostly neutral. I, I, I'm wrong more often than not. If you think you're neutral and it goes up, it's not too bad. If it goes down, it's not too bad. If you think you're going to be bullish, things got to go up and you're wrong, then you lose doubly, I guess. My view is always neutral, neutral to bearish, neutral to bullish, but very, very constrained. And it's like small, like short term, a month, maybe in the future. So my, my yeah. default question now, 10 years from now will always be, I'm neutral in the short term, everything else nobody knows. And again, that that's the power of options. You have to internalize that you don't know. Not just you, but no one knows where the price is going to go. Even if you have the SEC uh, doing something, it's priced in. It's random. One day is going to go up, the other day is going to go down. There's no way to know. And once you start with this, you 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 can open up new doors as opposed to say, wait, I cannot do, I, I don't know anything. What does that mean? You know, now you can trade on something else. You can trade on volatility. You can trade on, on volume. You can trade neutral in, in, in the outcome. Yes, maybe you, but the, my best... Outlook is that nobody knows, you know, don't know, your neighbors don't know, your boss doesn't know, no one knows, but that's good. That means that now you can kind of go above that and trade on something else. <laughs> well, that's it for me. It was a real pleasure having you on. I'm glad that we were able to make this work. It's We were trying to figure out how we got connected, Kenny, and it, I think the Panoptic team reached out to us is what we figured out. So. I thought I thought Eliza bumped into that's Yon. what I thought too. Uh, that was maybe. Uh, well, it it may remain a mystery. Of but, course, yes. Eliza, uh, uh, if you're watching and it was you, thank you. And regardless, really glad we could connect. Um, I personally am gonna go check out uh, Panoptic as soon as I'm able to. Uh, yes. To, to use it. Um, I, I forgot to. I, I'll plug it. Yeah. Plug it again. Yeah. Call to action. We're going to do a gated launch starting next month. There's going to be a trading competition on the layer two. We'll have limited amount of users and we'll have a sign-up sheet that will kind of go out this week or maybe early next week. It's going to be hardcore. 64 users will rank best to worst, but boot the bottom half and re-onboard new users. So you, if you want to trade, you will have to kind of be successful. Maybe doing nothing is the most successful thing you'll do. So be careful, but yes, we'll, we'll open it up and hopefully we'll, we'll keep this going. Every week we'll reset Duist for like a few months and then hopefully people will get a taste of Panoptic. Wow, that's intense. I've never heard of that one in, uh, so, in crypto. Yeah, I'm, it's gonna I'm be weekly options. Yeah. Weekly options, short-timed, could be zero DT. It could be weekly, but yes. Yeah. That's gonna be the, the, and it's gonna help us also figure out how to deploy, how to manage and the, around the kinks in the interface as well but yeah so so yeah be 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 on the lookout oh, follow well, our twitter it? account 
and 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 myself as well retreat but yeah that this is where you'll get the the alpha and once that's up and running we'll have to have you back and hear about yeah how it's i mean going we'll do what you've done. Scientist, we'll use that content to generate analysis who won who lost what were the strategies drive the content i guess and the narrative out of that real world experiment i guess from from traders cool i love it nothing like a nothing like uh putting your ideas into reality and seeing what happens that's my background is in economics and that's why i left sort of like standard economics is like how do you test your ideas you can't which is why there's a lot of pseudoscience in econ but in DeFi, well guess what just just build your options protocol put it out there and see what the heck happens you don't have yeah. to have like this endless theoretical debate just just look at yeah, what exactly happens. i'm and i'm, so I'm an experimental physicist as well i have to be in the lab i have to do it and see there's no there's no amount yeah. of equations that can convince me so yeah course yeah this was awesome well, yeah thanks very much pleasure. guys and uh we'll uh yeah we'll talk to you um down the line i'm sure and we're gonna stay can you ready to do our little community update sure yeah okay um cool thank you so much all right thanks, 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 thanks for coming over. yeah pleasure. all right bye ah Felisa says she chased them down at the Cornell thing. That's, I that's what we thought, yeah. That. Look at that, bearing fruit. Uh, community update starting. Oh, sorry, guys. I'm a little congested. i uh getting over a cold from last week. But I'm hanging in there. So yeah, how are um, how are you doing, Kyra? I'm good. Yeah, uh, sort of planning out our next season of events. Um, oh, Alpha Drop, I guess. Uh, I was talking with Ishan, and uh, obviously Stargate and Reuni were our winners from the pool party, but. Uh, all or at least the majority of the tokens that were in the finals uh had a, a very positive reaction so um ishan's thinking was that it doesn't need to be you know last last man standing we can really add as many tokens as there's going to be community support for so uh, in the medium term we'll probably be adding additional token support from the uh the finalists there cool yeah That'd be awesome. and uh and uh it's really great to be at a point where like proteus and the ocean have been proven out enough that it's not like a nail-biting decision to launch a pool you know where it's like is the code gonna work you know it's it's more of just like a a practical affair you know um feels good I think that the end state there is to get to the point where anyone can do that. Uh, and we don't even need to be in the loop. Yeah. And we're getting uh, there. Yeah. We're, we've been, we've been working on UI UX for people deploying their own pools. Still very early days. So it's not going to be live anytime soon, but it's in the pipeline. Yeah. And... Our line for like over a year was that we're front end constrained and I think we're no longer front end constrained. So 
Almost, yeah, almost. That feels good. We've been doing a lot of there. good work with uh, with the design team in Poland. Oh yeah, the the winners will be added first, Kim. Don't worry. I have not seen anything like this reuni fan base slash cult. Um, there's a lot of passion there. I'm I'm very impressed. Well, I think welcome we to Shell Ecosystem Reuni. We are excited to have you on board. Yeah, um, we were trying to figure out parameters for the uh, the pool, and it's probably just going to be constant product because you have so much beautiful upside that we could not possibly write a concentrated curve that would capture your 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 potential. So, wow. Caro, I, I I envy your fiance. You must write the best love letters. <laughs> um, you know, I I do write words sometimes. <laughs> um, Kenny, how are you? I'm doing well. I got a haircut, as someone noticed. Thank you. Um, yeah. and uh, yeah, just the summer is officially starting. Which, which in Hawaii, being being like a, a a white dude in Hawaii means you know you gotta like pay more attention to like sun exposure because it gets like mega strong right around now. But you know, paradise problems. Uh, I shouldn't. Yeah. Don't, I don't, it's not like I'm complaining. Uh, With the, yeah. the 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 peak exposure is like what like eleven a.m. to three thirty or something like that. Yeah, like two. 11 a.m. to like 1.30 probably is like when it really is like super intense. Um, I think it's like... time to get some work done anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, anytime, like, yeah, after like 3.30, like, uh, I, I find I don't really get too sunburned after 3.30. In fact, it kind of that's kind of like an optimal like tanning hour for, for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, just I'm getting kind of so... Should we talk about like uh dynamic multipliers oh yeah okay yeah, let's do it uh so not very different than crypto people in dubai yeah i'm sure they also get sunburned um dynamic multipliers so people have been asking for utility for toucans for various and obvious reasons and i think that is, a, is an appropriate and fair thing to ask. Toucans have a very special place in the shell community. And, uh, you know, when you have a fun asset slash collectible, uh, like a toucan, you want to be able to do things with it. And um, one thing I think that, that we can do that is achieving that goal and also like authentic to our mission and not forced is to allow toucans to be the early vanguard in uh tests and uh you know experiments as far as how the protocol functions they were the first nft in the nft amm and that went very well and uh so now they will also be the first in a way for this new thing we're trying uh dynamic multipliers and there are a few ways to explain it kenny i guess i'll let you pick the best way to dive into this yeah well i guess the basic idea is we 
you know, based on our own experience setting these multipliers and seeing what happens, and also um, feedback from a couple of a uh, couple of our, our LPs, um, it seems like there might be a better way of structuring like the how shell points get calculated. So right now we've been using a dollar day framework for basically every dollar you leave in the platform for 24 hours, you get one shell point is how it's been working. And I think the problem is, is we want to be able to, as a protocol, be able to fine tune like how much liquidity or, or TVL is allocated to different assets. And currently we also... do that with multipliers, but it's not a fine instrument. It's kind of a blunt instrument. We can sort of try and price in risk or incentives with those multipliers, but it's it's very, uh, yeah. Or, or like, like an example would be like like two coin, um, where when two coin pumps, you get a lot more shell points, and so therefore the incentive to hold two coin goes up. But when two coin two coin crashes. You get a lot less shell points and instead of to like hold to LP hold two coin goes down. Yeah. And so we think it might make more sense to I guess use a use a model that's more similar to traditional like LP incentives where we allocate a certain tranche of sh certain amount of shell points every day goes to this asset, regardless of like how many people are holding that asset. So for two coin, the way it would work is let's say I'll, I'll use simple numbers here. Well, this won't be the actual numbers, but let's say we'll have a hundred two coin or hundred shell points per day. will go to two coin holders pro rata. So if you if say there's a hundred two coin and you're holding ten two coin yourself, you would get ten shell points every day from holding that two coin. And so what this means is like if people sort of exit. And aren't holding two coin. Let's say the supply goes from 100 down to like 20, and you're still holding 10. That means now you're going to earn 50 shell points a day. And so this has a more of a stabilizing effect. And we can also kind of more fine tune yeah. like how how many shell points get distributed to like which tokens and which assets. And you you can think of it this way. Uh... Because two coin is where we're going to start, but say you apply the same model to an LP token, uh, the amount of those LP tokens in existence it reflects the amount of liquidity in the pool. Because the more people LP, the more of those tokens get minted, and so this essentially, as Kenny said, provides a stabilizing effect where the lower the liquidity gets in a certain pool you have the same amount of shell points total allocated to that pool going out to fewer lp tokens because fewer exist which means the rewards per dollar day in effect become more concentrated and that by the way we're going to stick to the multiplier uh framework as far as how this is presented in the ui uh, I think people understand it. I think it's it's a pretty elegant solution. Um, and we will provide the math under the hood, probably first just in a blog post, but we may find a way to show that uh, in the UI. 
if if people really want to know um but essentially like say um you know for two coin there is the amount of two coin in existence is such that in effect for every dollar of two coin you hold you're getting 2.5 shell points per day right that's because that's how much two coin supply there is what you will see on the front end is you will see a dynamic multiplier of 2.5x, uh, which is still reflected in dollar days. The difference is just how this is being calculated. And if more 2coin comes into existence, that will in effect go down because it's being spread across more tokens. If 2coin goes away, uh, because people are, are minting toucans from it, um, it will become more concentrated and it will in effect go up. Um, so yeah, it will hopefully mean that even if you are not enough of a power user that you want to start doing all the algebra, you can look at the interface, look at the current dynamic multiplier and make an optimal decision for yourself based on your risk tolerance and your preferences and your price predictions based on the current dynamic multiplier. That is our hope. And we're going to roll this. We're going to experiment with this new model on two coin first. And may, maybe wrap two cans. I, I don't know. Well, TBD, but definitely like two coin is probably what we're, what we're the most focused on right now. <clears throat> and, you know, usually whenever we try something new, there's some kinks that need to be worked through. Hopefully, hopefully we will have, you know, anticipate all the, all the major ones and it'll be fairly straightforward. But just in case, we're just going to only do two coin and then maybe we'll expand it out to like wrap two cans and the two coin ETH pool. And if that phase goes well, then we'll probably roll it out to the entire protocol. And I think that'll be like really cool. And another like kind of nice uh, benefit of this is that we we it makes it a lot easier for us to predict how many shell points will be issued in total. Uh, there'll be some, you know, there's, there's questions of like, how do, how do um, like boosters factor into this? So it's not like completely deterministic how many shell points will be yeah. created, but it makes it a lot easier to anticipate, uh, which I think down the road, especially once, once we have a, a liquid token with price discovery, this could open up some cool mechanics for how we incentivize liquidity and also how we um, determine like allocations of shell point uh, shell points in the future. One big goal for me after the TGE is to essentially use the established price of shell tokens to uh, convey some sort of estimated APY, uh, similar to a more traditional liquidity mining interface. So if we can set up shell points and seasons in such a way that this is fairly predictable, um, I will be happy. And I think users will be happy. And people who uh, are not shell aficionados, but simply scour DeFi like locusts looking for the highest percent APY uh, will potentially find a shell and be able to quickly 
figure out whether they want to participate, um, which should be good for all of us. Thinking about these dynamic multipliers, Kenny, I think one thing we will have to decide is whether they are appropriate for simply wrapped fungible tokens, such as sheath and things like that. Because, yeah. yeah? I think so, because I mean, we care about... Um... We care about having having wrapped tokens too, don't we? So I don't, I don't see why not. Yeah, I guess just in setting like a base supply as far as the multiplier, we're almost like setting a target, which is appropriate when you have something like an LP token that needs a certain amount of liquidity. But when you apply a dynamic multiplier to like sheath you're essentially saying like we need x amount of sheath in the pool in the ocean and the lower it gets the more we'll incentivize it you know and uh why i guess like why well why not? yeah why not i i feel like it's a good you know gateway into getting people to it's it's, it's a pretty low risk way of, of getting exposure to shell protocol and getting to know it yeah and, that's a good, I mean, it's a good point. Maybe, maybe, maybe we won't. Maybe we will, maybe yeah, we won't. Yeah, we could leave them static. I mean, we'll just, we'll have to see. Uh, but yeah, that's dynamic multipliers. I think we pretty much just explained the whole thing, so. Yeah, uh, we're, we're still building it. We're not going to give you like a, a date or a timeline of when it'll be ready, but hopefully it won't take too long. It's not like a huge shift. Uh, we're also working on, uh, well, we, I'm not doing anything, but uh, Kevin is working hard on tweaks to the shell point calculation algorithm, which hopefully will lead to shell points showing up more quickly when you open your point screen, which will be cool. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a big... load for a few seconds currently. Yeah, that's that's definitely like like a big priority for us in terms of like shell point UX is just reducing that latency because that that's one of my big pain points every time I have to use the app I'm like fuck. <laughs> Just, oh, just want and another, uh, oh, I feature, I'm very excited for because I recently had to send TwoCoin to a bunch of people um, for uh, this contest on Galaxy. My brain keeps wanting to call it like Galaxy, G A L X E, Galaxy, but I assume it's Galaxy. I don't know. Anyway, whatever it is, I had to send some TwoCoin and I realized. It's kind of a pain in the ass because you have to use uh, the safe transfer from contract creator on RBScan to send it. And so we're adding a transfer button, uh, which already exists for LP tokens, but we will be rolling it out for TwoCoin and for other Ocean assets as well. Yup. Yup. Uh, is there anything else to go over shell community wise i feel like those are all the things that are immediate um we are going to be doing another item based event but not for a little while uh we're also working on bootstrapping pools for nfts and tokens which we mentioned in a previous podcast that also is a little bit away but we're 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 developing it and i think as kenny went into before this will hopefully be a more elegant way to uh, 
sell, say, crates or something like that and, and have better price discovery instead of just guessing a price and then letting it sell out, you know, in, in, in a very quick period, which is not really fair to people in certain time zones. And, uh, you know, for, for a few reasons, it's not ideal. I think, yeah. Also, I think just in general, I imagine there's a lot of people out there that have these sort of video game type item, 1155 tokens or NFTs that they would like to, you know, sell to raise some money and, and make sure that it's fair to their community. And also like they get to, you know, get some capital out of it. So if anyone, if you know anyone, any projects looking to sell a large tranche of ERC 721s or even better 1155 tokens, uh, hit us up. If I, um, yeah, if I all of a sudden was not part of the shell team and I found myself as a person who wanted to create an NFT collection, uh, and this shell NFT bootstrapping technology was available today, the way that we anticipate it being, I would, I would use it honestly, uh, because it just makes sense. It makes sense. Um, and I think it would be a good experience. We're going to try and make it a good UI UX for everybody. Um, and yeah, hopefully others feel that way too when it, when it does come out. Cool. Well, well, well I guess that's about it. Um, it's another successful podcast, another interesting guest. We, we get such, uh, intelligent and, and uh, charming engaging guests on this show um, okay wait i'm looking at the i'm looking at the my mail chat first of all sanchez 05 if you're listening thank you for noticing my my haircut um i know uh it's my hair is not as long and luscious as it was but i think it's a little cleaner um makes me look younger i think which when you get into my age i won't tell you how old i am but when you get to my age, you, you, you want to look as young as you can because, you know, father time is uh, irrepressible. Uh, let's see here. Kim nine. When tokenomics part three. Oh, I was hoping people forget about that. Um, I, I got to write it up. I think I think the, the main bottleneck is. I really want to make sure that. um I don't know if we'll go into details about this in tokenomics part three, but long story short, launching it. If you're a US based team whose company is building one of these open source sort of DAO protocols, like writing the software for that protocol, how that DAO and protocol launches a token in a way without getting us like in legal trouble is not that clear. We I and then we have a I think we have like a good idea of like how we can how Shell can generate a token without you know putting the Cowrie Labs team at like legal risk. And I before I write out tokenomics part three, I just want to make extra sure that so the rest of the context is like more or less like ninety nine percent figured out. So that way. Because if let's say it's ninety percent figured out, and then you know it turns out that like oh that extra ten percent that we didn't figure out makes this uh, 
token vesting scheme a lot harder to pull off. We need to make changes to it. I want to make sure that that doesn't happen. And so, um, yeah, we we really hate overpromising, especially when people are making financial decisions based on the information we put out. Uh, yeah, but I guess you know. Uh, so I don't want to put it in writing as like an official blog post, but I, I can like talk through like kind of like the high level idea of the design. Um, in basically like everyone, you know, the people working at Cowrie Labs, the investors in Cowrie Labs, um, and crab holders, i.e. the community, uh, we're all going to be subject to the same vesting lockup criteria. And the idea is there will be like a two-year linear vesting period. So every block, a little bit of tokens unlocks, and that goes on for, for two years. Um, that way we kind of prevent like a dumping of the tokens right off the bat. There will also be a V token model, uh, sort of similar to Curve. So you lock up your shell points, and the longer you lock, lock up your shell tokens, and the more longer they're locked, the higher your voting power. And some people maybe don't want to wait for their shell tokens to fully vest. And so what they can do is they can, they'll have the option to exercise this early and, um, but they'll pay like a penalty for that. We don't know what that penalty is. We're still thinking about it, but there'll be some fairly, you know, there'll be some, some, some penalty of exercising your, um, tokens early and the, the penalty that will go either to the shell DAO or potentially that'll go directly to the V token holders. So basically what you, what you have is a system where the people that vest slowly and lock those tokens up into the DAO will benefit from the people that vest early and give those tokens back to the DAO. And so if you want to vest early, you totally can, but you know, there's going to be incentives not to do that. And there's gonna be incentives to lock up your tokens. And I think, Again, no, don't don't hold me to the details until like the blog post is written, but that's kind of what the strategy is right now. And uh, I think to me, the most important thing is to make sure that like everyone, regardless of whether, you know, you, whether, whether you're me, um, whether you're Cairo, whether you're Kim nine, whether you're Blue Yard, the seed investor in Calvary Labs, we're all more or less playing by the same rules. Um, there's some like caveats and exceptions, but those are kind of, I don't know, too hard to really explain and go into, especially in, until those details are like fully sussed out. But those, that's like high level where we're, where we're, where we think we're going to end up. But again, this could completely change in the short term, probably won't change, but, um, Stay tuned for the blog post to get the full picture and the full details that are more or less crystallized. Yeah, Kenny said we're not doing part three soon, then he basically just did part three right here. So Well, uh, it's not like the information I don't want to keep the information like secret. I just don't want to yeah. put something in writing then then have to like backtrack on it because that's just you know I, not only is it a bad look, but it's a it's like a it's a kind of a communications debacle, you know. I think that, that one great thing about this medium is that we can impart the appropriate uh either emphasis or or you know uh caution context yeah context i thought of one thing that i wanted to pose to the community before we go and it is on the subject of nft bootstrapping 
And something that we have found in our preliminary market research on uh, NFT collections and the way that they mint. Currently, uh, these NFT collections, there are certain norms associated with the way that they mint. And these norms are helpful for people who have limited attention or just degens or just want to feel comfortable aping into something such as, you know, a fixed amount, etc., etc., colors, styles, whatever. And one of these things is the idea of a whitelist, which, you know, in other contexts, people are, you know, more saying allow list, but as far as I can tell, with with NFTs, whitelist is still the prevailing term, or just WL. And it's this idea that there is a mint date for NFTs at which point a fixed number will be sold at a fixed price. And if you have access to the whitelist, you are able to mint early, which means you uh, essentially are at less of a risk of the mint running out before you get a chance to get yours. Um, and this is something that is used as an enticement or a reward for people. Uh, because these collections, before they do their mint, they will hand out whitelist spots um, or, you know, use them as promos, etc., etc. They give these things out. Um, and I won't get into the psychology or the marketing of this, except in that how it relates to this bootstrapping, because all of a sudden, if you do have NFT bootstrapping, you're essentially running a Dutch auction uh, for your NFT collection where the price starts very, very high. And uh, as the liquidity pool for the NFT evolves, the price lowers um, until it reaches a point where all of the inventory has been sold at whatever price the market decides to value it at. And the thing about that is that there's really no longer a point to having whitelist access when you have a Dutch auction, because getting in early, essentially just the NFT is more expensive. And can you jump in if I'm misconstruing anything here? But but in our talking to NFT projects, this is something that we found at least a couple times is they go, OK, well, how do we reward our whitelist users if we are doing a Dutch auction for the NFT? And this is an open question. One of the initial thoughts we had was, okay, well, maybe instead of getting in early, the whitelist users get to buy at a discount, you know? So say like the Dutch auction starts at 100 ETH or 100 Doge or whatever you want to call it. Whitelist users pay 90% of that. And then the whole way down on the Dutch auction, they're just paying a 90% or 95% you know, 10%, whatever discount you want. That might not be the best way to do it, though. Um, so I pose this to you, community. If you think that there is a good way to integrate the concept of whitelists with the concept of a Dutch auction NFT bootstrapping pool, uh, let us know, because this is something that we'll have to figure out. Yeah, I wonder if there's, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. There's always a way.
Um, so yeah. Well, all right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Yeah, let's get back to work, huh? Um, everyone, thank you for being here. Thank you for watching on replay, and uh, we'll see you around. Aloha. Bye, everyone.